We're going to continue in prayer. This is customary on Sunday mornings. We try to go from a corporate type prayer to more of an individual type prayer. To open up our hearts through the Spirit to what God has to teach us. And this morning we want to start our, our prayer time with the same type mentality of, of David. Psalm 139, search me, O God, know my thoughts, try me. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me. Would you ask God to search your heart right here, right now, in this place? What a dynamic prayer. So often... Even those of us who have been saved by God's amazing grace, who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, struggle with the propensities of our own flesh. And oftentimes how that's highlighted is through our own selfishness. <laughs> Would you ask God to reveal those times in your week this week when you were consumed with you? exclusion of those around you, to the exclusion of God's will for your life, you were consumed with you. Maybe it came out in your heightened opinion, maybe it came out in your anger, your fits of anger, however it might have looked for you. Would you pray that God would, by His grace, expose those things in your life? And then, would you thank God for his mercy and grace through Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That through Christ, these sins have been forgiven. If you've come to Jesus Christ in faith, repentant faith as the scripture delineates, these sins, the sin of selfishness this week that you struggled with have been nailed to the cross. You bear them no more. He has borne them. Would you thank God for His mercy, His grace? Would you praise God that He is a merciful God? The word in the Old Testament of your scriptures says He is long-suffering. This morning, would you by God's grace, thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the good news. Also this morning, as you're sitting there, as you're praying, talking to your God, the great creator and sustainer of all life, who blows my mind. He's listening to our prayers right now. This God is listening to us in Jesus' name. Would you thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ that are sitting around you right here, right now? By name, would you call out two or three of them that you, that you saw this morning? And just thank God for them. Would you now pray for those same, very same people that you thanked God for? Would you pray that God would give them the grace to grow this morning? 
he would take his word and grow them. That he would encourage their hearts through the word. Lastly, this morning, in petition to God, prayer and supplication, would you ask God this simple request that God would show you today how you can better, how you could be a better servant of Jesus Christ. We are called to be servants. The very practical exposition of scripture today, exhortation from the actually the life testimony of the Apostle Paul. If you pray that you would see how that you could better serve your family, those sitting around you, would you pray that God would expose to you how you can better serve your church family, the body of Christ? Pray that God would give you the grace to know how you can better serve your community. All like Jesus Christ did. So God, we come here today. We have sung these songs of praise to you from hearts of of humility and gratitude. We have brought to you praises and supplication in the name of Jesus Christ. And now God, through your spirit, his guidance, we open your word to study. And I pray today, Father, that your word would mean something to us, that we would dig in as it were, that we would diligently study the word, as Paul says to Timothy. As this church in Berea did, I pray that we would search the scriptures. And I pray today, Father, that you would encourage us as we prayed on several occasions already this morning, that you would transform our lives through your word. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the privilege of being in church today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, There are a number of people traveling today. You probably noticed by these chairs around you. uh, We have a mission team in Costa Rica that touched down last night. Uh, Praise God for that. Actually, early this morning, I think. Praise God for that. Uh, We have different ones traveling around. But here's what I want to tell you. I am thankful. Even for all those people that are gone today, guess what? You are here. We are here. Praise God for that. And we are here to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I hope that your heart's prepared to receive the word this morning. I feel the same way. I have to disclose this. My little daughter, Emma, little three-year-old, she gets up. She makes her way to my room. You can hear the little fear pad on the, you know, on the floor coming to my room. I'm sitting in my chair praying and thinking through, reviewing the, the passage for today, and I hear her come up, and she comes beside my chair, gives me a hug, and I say, so good to see you, Emma, and I said, guess what today is, Emma? Guess where we get to go today, Emma? And she goes, she stops, she goes, and her face lights up, church! And she takes a couple more steps, and she turns around, and she says, I love church. This is my church. And I just sat there, and I melted, and I'm thinking, 
girl, that's my heart. I love my church. And so I hope, I hope God's doing the same work of grace in your heart. Hey, we're not perfect people, are we? We are sinners saved by God's amazing grace. I promise you, this church will not scratch every itch that you have. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, we're on this journey together. We're studying the Word. We're praying together. Uh, we are a bunch of troubled people seeking Jesus together. So I hope you're ready to study this, this passage today. Would you take your Bibles and turn then, as is on the screen in front of you, to Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> We are just starting on this journey through Romans. If you're visiting with us or if you logged on or, or tuned in the radio, we're just starting our, our journey through the book of Romans. So far, we've done, kind of done an overview of the book, and then we dialed in on the first seven verses. <clears throat> I hope, by God's grace, you were able to dig in a little deeper this week, kind of trying to search out some of those questions you had. I know I had some good question answer time with several of you this week thinking a couple of you I should say thinking through this passage and I praise God that God that he is 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 growing you through this stuff I run into this wall every single week I'm going to tell you if it was up to me um, how I normally would like to do something potentially would be to take like one phrase at a time and just dig into one phrase another phrase another phrase another phrase and then we would be here like Martin Lloyd-Jones, for like 25 years. <laughs> so it's tough to kind of not get stuck in the trees, but sometimes to rise above to the forest. So my goal as a preacher is to give you paragraphs each week that you can work through to kind of perk your interest so that when you open your Bible all week, my goal is this. Oh, what about that phrase that Pastor talked about on Sunday? And you find yourself 10, 15 minutes later saying, Wow, this is so good. Why in the world didn't he say this? <laughs> That's my goal. All right, so to kind of perk your interest through the week, we're going to be in a passage today that is much more practical, very practical. Necessarily, it is the mind of the Apostle Paul exposed to us. All right, so when we think about this wonderful book, we're thinking about a couple themes that we've highlighted already. The righteousness of a sovereign God. We've been talking about that. The gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These concepts rise to the top when you go through the book of Romans. And we've been talking about this question, even, even though it kind of nuances righteousness in, in some different ways. But this basic question as we work through the book of Romans, how can a righteous God make an unrighteous person righteous and do it in a righteous way? That's what we're walking through through the book of Romans. And here's the answer. Paul doesn't hide it. It's all the way through the book. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news. This morning, we're going to come to some amazing conclusions about this gospel because as the Apostle Paul says, I mean, and oftentimes we think this way, oh, the gospel is for that person that has no clue about Jesus. And they come to the point in their life when they hear about Jesus and now they start a new relationship with Jesus Christ by grace through faith. That is who the gospel is for. And I'm here to say through the Apostle Paul is wrong. <laughs> the gospel is not simply for them. 
Here's the conclusion we're going to come up with today from this passage. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ, yes, is sufficient to bring us into relationship with God, but the gospel of Jesus Christ should be preached every single day in our lives. I love how Paul, David Tripp, one of the, I I really appreciate, he's a biblical counselor, a discipler. He's worked through some tough issues, and here's how he says it. Every believer should preach the gospel to themselves every single day. And that's what we're going to find out from the Apostle Paul today. Here's what he says at the end. I'm jumping to the end. I am eager to preach the gospel to whom? To believers. We are to remind ourselves regularly of the gospel. Okay, I've already jumped to the end. We can't do that yet. This passage, Romans 1, 8 through 15, we're going to focus on a servant's mindset. I want us to think about mental processes. I want us to think about this. Have you ever found yourself saying, I wish I could get into the mind of that person? (laughs) Maybe not in a devious way. Like that little three-year-old that you're like, what are they thinking? Or that preteen boy that you're like how did you process it that way or your teenage boy or teenage daughter nonetheless how did you process that or that that young adult that you're like wow how did you get to that conclusion so maybe not in a devious way but maybe let's think of it in a positive light all right have you ever thought i wish i could get in the mind of that person all right a lot of times we think of this in terms of Athletics, as a former player, coach, I found myself constantly thinking, man, I wish I could get into that person's mind. How did they process this information? How did they work through the task at hand to to equip themselves to make it successful? I I think of, and for me it was soccer. Um, Coaches. What do you do? For me, I watch the details of the soccer game. For soccer, a lot of people, it is absolutely boring. <laughs> like, dude, you would watch that whole game, 90 minutes, and they scored one goal? Not for me. <laughs> but for me, it's the opposite. I love it because I, I, having played the game at a high level, I watch the systems from the coaches. I get into their mind. What's he thinking about? I watch the changes that happen at halftime. My son and I, David, we like watching this set up. Oh, David, did you see he switched in? He's going from a 4-3-3 to this other formation. They've changed out this outside midfielder, and it's like we're trying to get in their minds, okay? That may not make sense for you, but for whatever athletic sport that you may have kind of drifted to in high school or junior high or even beyond in college, maybe you're thinking, I wonder what that quarterback's thinking. I wonder what's in their playbook. You're trying to get in their minds. It's not just athletics. Think about this. You ever wondered, I wish I could get into the mind of that educator. And he's such a gifted communicator. I wonder what he's thinking. How is he processing these things? Or, or maybe for you, it's the business world. Oh, man, I wish I could process things in my mind, how quickly and efficiently this person processes it. I wish I could get into that person's mind. Or maybe it's, it's the artist. I know there's several artist here um 
and you're thinking, I wish I could think the way they do. How do they process something? They look at a picture, and all of a sudden, it's already going down on paper. They're figuring out how to process this, or maybe it's that good attorney. How do they work their cases? Or maybe, maybe it's getting to the mind of that good politician. Well, (laughs) all two of them. How do they process things? How do you work the law of the land? How do you work politics? Today we're going to get into the mind of not a business person, although he worked. Not a politician, although he was deeply interested at times in politician, pol- politics. We're getting into the mind of a servant of Jesus. As we introduced last week, Paul breaks onto the scene through the Spirit into this book. And what does he call himself? Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. And he goes through this section of verses 1 through 7. And it's like you got to hold on because every phrase, theology, is just jumping all over the place. You're trying to grasp this thought and this thought. But then we get to verse 8, and there's a bit of transition here. And I absolutely love it because Paul, it's almost like he takes a break in his thinking, and he's like, okay, here's, that, here's the theology of this introduction. And now he's like, you know what? But this is my testimony. This is what God's doing in my heart. And we get this window into the thinking of the Apostle Paul. It is an expose, a brief expose of how this guy, even though there's all of this deep theology that we know he's going to get to, he starts talking about these practical areas of ministry. This is a disclosure of the inner passion of one of the greatest theologians to ever walk the face of this earth. And this passage is going to bring us to theology with shoes on. You understand that term? That concept? Theology is not meant to just stay up here. Theology is not meant to just give us a big head. The Word of God is not meant to just make us confident to know everything about God and His workings, because you will not. (laughs) But here's what theology does. It transforms the way we live every single day. That's what it's meant to do. And I think we get that as we look at the mind of the Apostle Paul in verses 8 through 15. So would you follow along? And then we'll kind of unpack this. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. Verse 13. I think this is missing in your handout, but it's in your Bible and on your device. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far... By the way, I love those shoes. (laughs) 
I need to get me a pair of those shoes. Those squeaker shoes? Sorry. Brothers, that I have often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Verse 14, I am under obligation. This is so good. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Are you ready to jump into this a little bit? All right. But from the onset, we need to understand this, okay? Anytime, is, is very, we need to be very clear on this. Anytime you take someone in scriptures and you talk about them, we need to understand this. We need to remember that we do not follow men for the sake of following men. This passage was not placed in the scripture for us to be like, yes, Paul, you're an amazing person. We need to remember that. We don't elevate or we don't idolize people simply for who they are and what they have done or what they have done. However, as taught in scriptures, we should intentionally consider godly examples based on what Christ has done and is doing in their hearts. I was thinking about this passage over and over and over again this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Some of you have uh, the NIV in your lap right now. I love how this says it. It's very, it's very succinct. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So, when we think about the Apostle Paul's life, we're not highlighting the Apostle Paul for the sake of highlighting the Apostle Paul. We are highlighting, we're thinking about the Apostle Paul for the fact that Jesus transformed his life. So yes, this is a sermon considering the Apostle Paul's life, but this is a sermon highlighting what Jesus Christ does to transform the sinner's soul. So in getting into the mind of the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, 8-15, this phrase kind of stands out. I want us to kind of dial in. Start with this phrase. It's in verse 9. Connecting us back to what he first said in verse 1, I think this kind of sets the pace. Here's what Paul says. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. All right, this sets the pace for the rest of the verses here. Clearly, Paul is carrying on the discussion from verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, and even though he uses a different Greek word for serve in verse 9 as he does in verse 1, he is continuing to express his absolute submission and devotion to Christ. This is his testimony. Clearly he's stating, I am devoted to Jesus. This word serve often refers to religious type service. And actually in some verses it will be translated as worship. This is good because Paul's service for God was an expression of worship for God. Just like yours and mine. Should be anyways. So we serve God. We're, we're expressing worship for this God. We're going to see this kind of highlighted when we get to chapter 12, 1 and 2, and through the whole chapter of 12. Paul says this, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. Again, the 
well, there's a translation, the NASB, translate this as heart, with my heart. I like that because I think that's what it's getting at here. As one commentator, Tom Schreiner, describes, this is wholehearted service with all of his being. There's no question in what Paul's intention is here. He's saying, I serve the Lord with all of my being, all of my heart, all of my spirit in the gospel of His Son. This takes us again back to the parameters set in verse 1. All right, He's set apart for the gospel, the good news. These are the boundaries of Paul's service, the good news of Jesus Christ. Think with me very practically. What about this dude, Paul? We've been kind of taking snapshots of this guy's life, but if we kind of bring it down and summarize it in a, in a massive way, we're talking about a man who traveled around the known world destroying people's lives before he came to Jesus. Think about this. And Jesus stepped in, saved his soul. Now this is a man traveling around the world to do whatever he can to serve Jesus' people. This sets the pace for transformation of this entire book. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. I think as we interact with Paul today and his mindset, we cannot help but see this. Here's the key truth that we're going to look at the top of your page. A servant of Jesus will show genuine interest in other believers. Okay, this is the mindset. This is getting into the mind of that coach. Getting into the mind of that, that businessman. This is getting into the mind of a servant of Jesus Christ. And when you get into the mind of a servant of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, here it is. A servant of Jesus will show genuine interest in other believers. All right, let's start unpacking this with this first point. So we look at verses 8. Actually, we'll dial in on verse 8. Servant of Jesus genuinely thanks God for other believers. Oh, this is, this is so good. Let, let this just sink in for a minute. Here's what Paul says in verse 8. First, okay, some things in like primary, uh, it's hard to tell exactly what he means by first because we don't find a second. <laughs> you know, like many preachers, they get going on first point and never get to second point. But he says first. Maybe of first importance, but here it is. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Let that just sink in for a minute. Of all the ways Paul could start his letter, he starts with gratitude. By the way, that's the MO of the Apostle Paul. That's what he does. Almost any epistle he writes, bar two, even we find this gratitude to this crazy church. The crazy church in the New Testament is the church of Corinth. <laughs> he still finds grace in his heart to thank God. Of all the massively important theological issues he needed to discuss, he didn't neglect expressing gratitude for God's people. Why was Paul thankful? I mean, just look at this first. Why was Paul thankful? Here's, here's the grounding of his gratitude. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul was specifically thankful because of the testimony of their faith. Oh, this is great. 
Talk about being gospel-centered. Paul is like, I praise God, and there's a number of things I can praise God for, but here it is, your faith in Jesus. There's a lot more we could say about this. But I think this ties us back to what he's already introduced in verse 1. Or sorry, verse 5. He uses this phrase, if you remember what we talked about last week. The obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. I think what Paul is doing is he's connecting the church of Rome back to what he's already said in verse 5. In other words, Paul was thankful to God that through Jesus Christ, the gospel was truly transforming lives, even in this crazy place called Rome. In other words, the gospel's traveling hard and the gospel's traveling fast. Praise him. And Paul is thankful for these believers, even in Rome, where we'll have to remind ourselves that Paul had never specifically been there, never met most of these people in face. Maybe in some of his travels he'd come across some of them. But he never met them. How awesome is that? Would you just process this with me for a minute? There are followers of Jesus Christ that are right now in this, even in the state of California, that are studying and learning and growing and worshiping God in Sacramento. And even in San Francisco. And even as you head down into Southern California and over into the more mountainous areas of this this state, there are believers who you have never met that are studying about this amazing Jesus. So our gratitude goes not just for those we've met and we've interacted with, but also those we've never met. That God is doing a work of grace in people's hearts. And I, I think that's where we get here with the Apostle Paul. Let's ask another question. Who was Paul thankful for? Again, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. That's a verse we, that's a word we'd like to kind of take out sometimes. <laughs> okay, think specifically of your own congregation. I guarantee there's one or two people in this congregation that bother the snot out of you. <laughs> Those personality quirks. That opinion, and you're like, no, why did you bring that up again? Here's the truth of the matter, is that through Jesus Christ, praise God for that person. Thank you, Jesus, for that person who's part of this body. That is the transformation of what God does in all of our hearts. Not some of you, not most of you, not all of you except for the troublemakers with uh, with ordinary tendencies and personality quirks and strong opinions. Which, by the way, we'll get to some of those in chapter 14. But all of you, lovely and unlovely, wealthy and poor, smart and not so smart, mature believers and new believers, more particularly in the context of what Paul is saying here, Jewish believers and Gentile believers, all Practically, this is so good because gospel gratitude is not exclusive gratitude. Can we grasp that? Can we grasp that? A servant of Jesus Christ doesn't say, oh, I'm so thankful for you and you and you uh, and you and you and you and you and you and you. Praise God that he's growing all of us. We are his. A servant of Jesus Christ is genuinely thankful for other servants of Jesus Christ. Why? 
because we're working together in the service of the Master. We're all clay pots that God has been forming and stuck us on the shelf and put us to use every single day. We're all in this together. And this takes that whole thought of Christian elitism and throws it out the window. You're a follower of Jesus and I'm thankful for you. I love this. Several years ago, um, my daughter Kara started something, and it kind of took hold in our family. I, I praise God for this. She's up working in the nursery right now, so she's not going to be too embarrassed. As a young, I think it was uh, prior to being 10 years old, we would say goodnight to the kids, and she would stop, and she would say, Dad, I'm thankful that you're my dad. Man, I just melted my heart. Even through the tough times we had, and the opinions of that dad. <laughs> we, we try to end every single day with, I love you, I'm, I'm thankful you're my dad. And I turn around and say, I'm thankful you're my daughter. I'm thankful you're my son. You know what gratitude does to a family network? It strengthens it. You know what gratitude does to the body of Christ? It strengthens it. Why do you think on Sunday mornings we stop almost every single Sunday morning I say name by name two or three people in this body that you're thankful for? You know, my prayer is that we start thanking people for the ones we, we're not super comfortable around just like the people we're comfortable around. All right, we need to keep moving on. A servant of Jesus Christ, as we see exposed through the Apostle Paul's life, genuinely thanks God for other believers, but here's another Here's another window into the mind of the Apostle Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ faithfully prays for other believers as well. For God is my witness, Paul says in verse 9, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow God's will, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Okay, so this is not a super technical part of this letter. Very practical. But it's super important. Simply this. As we see in the other epistles of the Apostle Paul, just like Romans, this is a servant of Jesus who took time to regularly pray for other servants of Jesus. Even the ones he had not officially met. By the way, how often did Paul pray? I love this. It goes right along with what we find in 1 Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing. This is the Apostle Paul is exposing his own mind to us. He says, without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. What was Paul specifically praying for? Catch this. Asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So not only was he praying for them personally. I mean, and this is such an encouragement to us. Gospel-centered people, people who God is transforming our lives through Jesus. We're to pray for other individuals. But there's something really cool to what Paul's praying for here, too. Verse 9, personally, but verse 10, he says, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul was praying that God would give him the opportunity to physically serve them. To serve them in person. Did you catch that? Paul prayed for an opportunity to serve physically. Not just with a letter or a text or a call or an email. <laughs> this is where the rubber meets the road. 
but physically, personally, how can I serve? And brief application, honestly, how many of us truly pray for opportunities to serve each other? Would you just think about your own life? In this room, or listening online right now, how many of you this week, as we, as we think of God's grace in your life, how many of you have prayed, God, give me grace, give me opportunities to serve people? Honestly, the temptation of contemporary church life is I'm going to come to church, and, and we can acknowledge this. What are you going to do to serve me? Hey, big man standing up there preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, what are you going to do to serve me today? Hey, greeter at the front door, what are you going to do to tell me you love me seeing me here? What would happen? And I know that's part of it, okay? And I so I don't want to be caustic in any way. That's natural to our, the inclinations of our hearts. But what if when we got... Or when we're preparing our hearts to come to corporate worship on Sunday, we're talking about through the week and on Saturday, we're constantly thinking, God, show me who I can serve in a very practical way. Through the week, God, show me people that need to be served. And God, when you open that door, help me to run to that opportunity to serve. Show me people when I pull onto the church property for corporate worship. Help me to see someone getting out of their car over there that's hurting, that needs someone to love on them today. Help me to see that person on the other side of the auditorium that's struggling through trials this week that I could go say, hey, I love you and I'm praying for you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I think in this expose of the Apostle Paul, we find a wonderful pattern. Let's pray for each other. Pray God's grace for practical ways to serve each other. A servant of Jesus Christ will pray. A servant of Jesus Christ is grateful. A servant of Jesus, and let's travel into verses 11 through 13. A servant of Jesus Christ selflessly cares for other believers. This goes right into his prayer, but now, practically, here's how it's exposed. So the second and third point there kind of go together. But a servant of Jesus Christ selflessly cares for other believers. Verse 11. I'll read verses 11 through 13. I think I failed to put 13 on your page there, so write that down because it's great. <laughs> Verse 11, for I long to see you, the Apostle Paul says, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. All right, that's a mouthful. I want us to just kind of unpack this a little bit and see that a servant of Jesus Christ genuinely does care for other people's needs. What is this? Paul had this longing to see the believers in Rome. Let's start with that one. That inner desire to just love to be around Jesus' people. That's not always intrinsic in how we feel during the week. But there's something about getting together with Jesus' people. And Paul knew it. To serve them, to share with them, to see them grow in Christ. In verse 11, Paul refers here to some spiritual gift to strengthen you. 
<clears throat> okay, as you could probably sense, some theologians run crazy with this one. Um, I think to summarize it, I'll just say this. This is most likely not referring to a special gift like, like you would find in chapter 12 when we get there, I believe. This is broadly and generally speaking to spiritual blessings found through the gospel. Gifts that bear fruit from Jesus. A lot more could be said about that, but Paul also refers to reaping some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Simply this. As is consistent with the entire book of Romans, Paul was driven to see the gospel bearing fruit. I love this metaphor. Paul wanted to see the gospel bearing practical fruit in all of these believers' life. I mean, and this goes right back to the fact that the book of Romans isn't just there to make us feel really good about ourselves theologically. The book of Romans is to compel action today and tomorrow and the next day. It is a working grace, a grace that serves the master. And when we see this service come to life, we're talking about fruit that is being born in the life of a believer. I believe that's what Paul is is getting at here. Okay. Why does he, why in this point do we put down there selflessly cares for other believers? Would you look with me at verse 12? Back to verse 12. Okay, let's just think about what he's saying here for a minute. Hopefully you're hanging on. You hold, holding on? You're hanging on? All right, we're going strong. So here we are in verse 12. We're talking about the servant of Jesus Christ who genuinely, selflessly cares. And now let's see this selfless care in the Apostle Paul in verse 12. He says this, That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Yes! This is the mindset of a servant. I love this. Even as an authoritative apostle, as we found last week in verse 1, as God used him, as, as Jesus chose him on the road to Damascus and used him, Jesus showed up to Paul. He saw Paul. Paul saw Jesus. Jesus called him to be an apostle. All right? We talked about this last week. So go back and hear the whole thing about we don't need a new apostolic reformation. We need a newfound passion for the apostles' words, the word of God. That's what we're looking for. And so when we look at this passage I love this because Paul, even though he's writing with the authority of the apostles, here's what he says. That is that we may be mutually encouraged. Discipleship's not a one-way road. It goes both ways. I don't, I don't know if you've caught on several different occasions, certainly those who have become members of Crosspoint, we've talked about this concept of dual discipleship. And the body of Christ, guess what? Iron sharpens iron. Brothers and sisters sharpen each other. Guess what? When you come on Sunday mornings and through the week when you call or text or show up on the church campus here or Bible studies, you are encouraging your pastor and your pastor elders here at Cross Point Community Church. There is no spiritual elitism here in the body of Christ. And the Apostle Paul, I believe, says this. A selfless servant of Jesus realizes that the body of Christ is not a place 
puff up his shoulders and think it's all about me. We're open to being discipled here, all of us. Jesus is growing every single one of us by his grace. Referring back to point two, this care that Paul has is, is really a dynamic focus of his prayer. By the way, think about this. Did God answer his prayer? Paul says, I want to show up to you and I want to serve you. This is what he's saying to the church of Rome. Did this happen? Okay, you're in Romans chapter 1. Uh, that's the flow of your Bible. Chronologically, that's, it's not the same way because if you go back one chapter, where are you going to find yourself? In Acts chapter 28. Please read Acts chapter 28 this week. Why? Because we see that finally the Apostle Paul goes to Rome. And how does he go to Rome? As a prisoner. As a prisoner of Jesus. So he's in chains. And even in chains, he goes to Rome. And what does he do? He sits there in his own hired house and pouts for two years. Is that what he does? No. Listen to how he cares for the church of Rome and those around. Unbelievers and believers alike. I'm just going to read Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. He lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. I love this. We've got a guy in chains and his passion as he exposes to us in Romans chapter 1 is that I might come and serve you. And now he's in chains and he's still serving them. What if we embrace that same mentality of a servant of Jesus Christ? It doesn't matter what trial I'm going through. I want to find someone to serve. I want to find someone to love on in the name of Jesus. Sure, these trials are tough. Sure, these trials hurt and they run deep into who we are. The constant mentality of a servant of Jesus Christ is to transfer these moments of pain and discouragement into opportunities to serve Jesus' people. I'm so thankful in my life for people who I know serve this way. So many of you here Crosspoint Community Church serve this way. Without going into much detail, I know there's some pain going on with one of the workers serving coffee this morning, two of them. And I know, as we talked briefly there, one of the best ways to deal with this pain in their hearts is to serve Jesus' people. Praise God. My prayer is that serving Jesus in time of trial, genuine selflessness in the body of Christ is not this exception at Cross Point Community Church. It's the norm. <laughs> it's normal. We see people's needs, we search out people's needs, and we diligently serve Jesus' people. All right, let's look at one other aspect here as we close this out this morning. A servant of Jesus eagerly proclaims the gospel Catch this, two other believers. All right, verse 14 and 15 could be potentially some of the most well-known verses in this first chapter. Verse 14, Paul says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is so good. Two basic 
phrases that we really need to think about. I mean, the whole verse, both verses, obviously. But I love what Paul says. He says, I am under obligation. And then in verse 15, he says, I am eager to preach. And I want us to just kind of analyze those two phrases briefly this morning. He says, I am under obligation. To be under obligation is as it sounds, essentially to have a responsibility because of a gift. And I think we see that again very clearly in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Based on the mercies of God, we present ourselves a living sacrifice. Under obligation, sure this is saturated by grace, but Paul found himself under obligation to God for all he had done in rescuing and calling him. And, and I think, and a lot of commentators will go to this, this the way this is, this is formed here, this is not necessarily Paul saying, I'm, I'm indebted to you, and you. It's more or less, I am indebted to God to serve you, to preach to you. I believe this is similar, again, to Romans chapter 12, and remember this when we get there in about 15 years. <laughs> Hopefully by the end of this year. Paul was under obligation to God to minister the gospel to, again, to whom? To everyone. Everyone! Oh, this is so good. Here's how he says it. To the Greeks and to the barbarians. Okay, that word kind of sounds like it means, all right? Uh, in this culture, there was these people that were not the smartest people around. Their languages sound like bar, 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 bar. It's just like confusing. These are the barbarians, not the intelligent people. And Paul says, the people that are cultured and knew their language well, yes, we're going to serve them with the gospel. Guess what? The people that aren't so educated and don't know language and culture very well, we're going to love on them too through the gospel. <laughs> this is so good. This is the mindset of a servant of Jesus. And he refortifies this with the next phrase, both to the wise and to the foolish, and somewhat of an appositional phrase. To those who love to be educated and cultured, especially in the Greek culture, and to those who couldn't stand the Greek culture and language. A simple point is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not exclusive to one people group or one demographic. Praise Jesus! I mean, this is so good because we got into some pretty good theology last week about the calling. But, but we need to remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all who come to Christ in faith, whether smart or cultured or not. This is further evidence that elitism does not belong to the body of Christ and that God is not a respecter of persons. This is, this is so good based on our discussion, uh, again, from the first couple verses, the calling thing. Sometimes in our minds, even through some discussions I had with you all here, yes, we believe in divine election because the Bible preaches this. But guess what? It's not for you to decide. It's for, that's, that's in God's realm. So what do we do? We embrace the same mentality of a servant of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, and we go tell everyone we ever come into contact with about Jesus the greatest person that you can ever meet, the one who will save your soul. This is the mindset of the Apostle Paul. This is confirmed in verse 15. Here it is. 
I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul was ready. He was willing. You don't want to put too much of an emphasis on this. I don't, I don't know if the verbiage here allows for it, but some would, would think it leads to this. I am possibly even excited or stoked to do this. What was he stoked to do? To proclaim the good news in Rome. To whom? Not only to unbelievers, verse 14, but to believers. Did you catch that? We've already kind of referenced this. Paul is excited to proclaim the good news to whom? Believers. Because the gospel is not only good news about a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Let us catch this. The gospel is good news about a sustained, growing, thriving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And one commentator in his exegetical guide says this, the idea of preaching the gospel, gospel goes beyond the initial act of winning converts to include challenging believers to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's reference Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 on this. This is why, again, I, I like what Paul David Tripp says, this counselor. We are to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Every morning when you get up, what do you preach to yourself? And not just remind yourself, but preach to yourself. What? That it is only by God's mercy that I'm physically alive today. When we preach the gospel to ourselves, we're reminding ourselves that I was born as a wretched sinner deserving God's just wrath today. I deserve this. That it is only by Christ's selfless sacrifice and resurrection that I can be spiritual, spiritually alive today. Every day we preach this to ourselves. That it is only by God's grace that I have a privilege of a relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords today. That my hope today is not only in salvation from the penalty of sin, but my hope is in salvation from the, pres- the, the, the power of sin and eventually from the very presence of sin. That is what it means to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. One day, Jesus will return to set all this right. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters in Christ, by God's grace, we preach to ourselves that when we get home tonight, this afternoon, when we go to bed tonight, all through the afternoon and evening, when we get up in the morning, we remind ourselves that we are sinners saved by God's grace, and He's given us the privilege to live another day for His glory. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we preach to ourselves every day. The gospel is to be preached to unbelievers and believers alike, to ourselves every single day. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the gospel is to be preached from this pulpit every single week. If you sit through a sermon here and aren't compelled to appreciate more Jesus Christ, something went wrong. Friends, again, this is consistent with the entire book of Romans. Hey, and we're only in the introduction. <laughs> this is going to be unpacked through the book. This gospel of Jesus Christ that's meant to transform lives. And as we look at this, this expose of the Apostle Paul's heart here this morning, we realize that a servant of Jesus, hey, is genuinely, genuinely thankful for other believers. A servant of Jesus 
he faithfully prays for other believers. A servant of Jesus will selflessly care for other believers. A servant of Jesus eagerly proclaims the gospel to other believers. So what? A servant of Jesus will show genuine interest in other believers. So, following the example of the Apostle Paul, who also was primarily following the example of Jesus Christ, here's the question to interact with today. Are you a servant of Jesus who shows genuine interest in others? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ truly transformed you into a servant of Jesus who serves Jesus' people? Uh, This week, Hannah and I had a class with a couple others here, congregation. Um, It was CCW class. And I was reminded of this, what's called tunnel vision. When you think of tunnel vision, this is where the peripheral is eliminated as one item dominates the focus. Sadly, in a negative way, this is the case with so many followers of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ, including me so often. What's my focus? Here it is. My immediate need. My consuming interest. My driving passion. My painful trial. My pet theology. All of these dominate my focus. And I forget about everything and everyone else in the body of Christ who God has called me to serve. So rather than tunnel vision, might I encourage this. On the soccer field, Here's what we called it, and I've talked of this often. We call it being field aware. As a player and as a coach, you're constantly trying to encourage the players to be field aware. What, am I mean? what do I mean? There are certain soccer players, no matter the age, some young ones that really are really good at this, but some obviously older, higher, higher uh, players are really good at this, but some players, all they see is what's five, five, five feet around them. That's all they see. And you're like, get your head up. And all they see is this, this circumference around them, five feet, maybe five yards. But there's other players. When we step on that soccer field, you know they're going to see that run. As soon as the whistle blows, they're going to see that run 50 yards away. They're going to see that defender that needs supported. They're going to see the field set up. You know what my prayer for Cross Point Community Church is, and my prayer for myself? I don't have tunnel vision but that I'm field aware. That we are a church that sees that person on the other side of the auditorium that's struggling. We see that person that we know needs encouraged by God. We help answer each other's phones. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your goodness and grace to us. We thank you for this This brief expose of the Apostle Paul, this testimony of faith, this servant of Jesus, that we get a window into his heart today. And I pray, God, by your grace, that we would leave here encouraged to love Jesus more by loving Jesus' people more. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you for your attentiveness today. I want to just close out this service this morning with some prayer. You praying 
Before we pray, though, I, I think that there's probably some here that were like, are like, you know, Pastor, some of that made sense, but not all of it. And you talked a lot about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to say to you that I'd love to talk with you more about this afterwards. There's others that would be willing to, that would be more than willing. They'd be eager to talk with you about this. But to summarize what we're talking about this morning, it's this. But the whole story of the Bible is this. that You were born into this world with a serious problem. A problem you couldn't deal with. It was a problem that placed you under the wrath of a holy God. That's how bad of a problem this was. What is that problem? Sin. Rebellion. It's rebellion from the first Adam that's been passed all the way along, but it also is the rebellion of your own heart. Rebelling against your creator, your sustainer. A God who has been gracious. But because we deserve this, it's called grace. We deserve this wrath of God. It's called mercy. It's called grace. It's called loving kindness. And God, in our deepest need, sent His Son, Jesus, to go to that cross for your sin. Pay the penalty of your sin. This is grace. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be rescued. You could do nothing to earn this grace. It is all of His love and kindness to you. Maybe you've sat through this sermon this morning and you said, man, I heard a lot about that gospel. What I, I would encourage you with this. Don't just hear about the gospel. Receive this gospel in the name of Jesus. Live this gospel. Let it transform your life by God's grace. I remember as a 10-year-old boy, having sat through sermon after sermon because my dad was a preacher. My grandpa was a preacher. I came to the point where I realized that Jesus wants to save my soul responded in faith and repentance that very night. Would you respond to God's call in your life today by faith? Others here who have come to Jesus Christ in faith, you are now called, as we talked about last week, you're called to belong to Jesus, called to be a saint. But one of the ways that's lived out is by being a servant to Jesus' people. you pray right now that God would give you the grace to serve Jesus' people well? Sure, there's pains, there's hurts, but to be able to see beyond the inward pain and hurt in our own lives, to be able to see what's going on in the broader body of Christ. So God, we thank you for the opportunity we had this last hour to study your word. And I pray that it would ring true in our minds all week long. Thank you for the attentiveness of your followers here. And I pray that we would go in the blessing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your attentiveness this morning. Um, I would encourage you to live these passages all week. Think through these things. This is called meditation. Meditate on God's work all week long. Some of you came this morning ready to share of your resources. Uh, as we find in the New Testament, we're not going to hand out any offering plates or anything of the such. There are boxes in the back that you...
that you are welcome to, to share your resources in those boxes. Uh, we're going to close.